Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. After the War of Independence was won, I think it was after either the Constitution was established or after the Declaration was signed, a woman asked, he's not a Christian, he was not a Christian, asked Benjamin Franklin out in the street, Lord, uh, Benjamin, what have we, Mr. Franklin, what have we, what have you done? What, have, what do we have? And he says, you have a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. As I said, and as you probably know, freedom is enjoyed, but freedom is never free. And so as we live in a nation where there are tremendous freedoms, many of which that do not exist in other parts of the world, we are still called by God, no matter what we personally think of the leaders who are above us, um, to pray for them, to pray for this, pr to pray for the success of our nation so that the gospel would go forward freely that more people would come to know him. So let's take our time of prayer this morning before we get in God's word to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we would you open up your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. And we are at our last series in, the, in, the, in this little section in the book of Acts, of the series called His Church. And we have covered a lot of ground over the last five weeks, the last four weeks, and this is the fifth. Um, but just to refresh us, here's what we have looked at. Captured in four words. Believe, grow, belong, serve. And today we're going to check out the fifth one. And today, I've said it already, but we celebrate something momentous in this country. We celebrate the birth of a nation. And we have in our history the document that defines this day. It's called the Declaration of Independence. And this declaration was promoting an idea, a free nation, self-governing, that was able to say no to its oppressor. But because of that, it was also a declaration of treason and war. So here's my question. What would motivate sober-minded people to do such a thing? It wasn't just the wrongs that they listed of which King George III and the British Commonwealth were guilty. It was that combined with an envisioned future of, an Amer of American states that independence would, would be the prevailing notion. they saw it as a future worth investing in. And so the document ends prior to the signatures, and if you've read it, you'll be familiar with this. The bottom, of this sentence, the bottom sentence of this declaration says, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. What does that mean? In a word, they invested. Now, as legendary and inspiring as that is, that's a great sentence. That's like a yeah, kind of sentence. 
as inspiring as that is, we who profess faith in Jesus Christ have an even greater and more legendary and more inspiring future to look to. It's an eternal one. And it was set in motion over 1,700 years before this country was established. When Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, came across the Jordan River and proclaimed, as Mark 1 verse 15 records, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this kingdom, of whom the church of Jesus Christ is the citizenship, is worth investing in. So let's see that today. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36 through 47. Peter finishing preaching here. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. You can have a seat. See, what we should see and embrace, we've been over this passage quite a few times, but we, what we should see and embrace this morning as we... Are, as we see these citizens in God's kingdom, they're beginning to make an investment. And what we need to see is that God has provided us resources to invest in his kingdom. He wants us to invest in it. Now, before we get too far here, let's, understand, let's see if we can understand that term, invest. What does that mean? Well, when you invest in something, you are saying at least three things. One, you're saying that you see that there is long-term increasing value in that person, place, or thing in which you're investing. You see long-term increasing value. Two, that you desire the gain that comes from putting your resources in that person, place, or thing, as opposed to somewhere else. So long-term value, you want the gain that comes from it. And three, you are hopeful about the investment's success. So much so that you're willing to put, put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And God has established a kingdom. 
where he is the king and his church, you and me who profess faith in Jesus Christ, are citizens of that kingdom. And he wants his citizens, you and me, to invest in that kingdom, to see the value, to desire the eternal gain, and to be hopeful of the outcome. And he has given each of us resources to invest in that kingdom. And you might be thinking, he has? What resources that he, has he provided that we should invest? Well, there may be more, but I want to bring three to your attention today, three large categories of resources that we have been given by God to invest in his kingdom. And I didn't make up these categories, and I didn't make up their order. Somebody else did, so I can't claim credit for that. And you've probably heard of them, and maybe even in this order. But don't tune out if you have, okay? Embrace them and rejoice that God's given them to you. So first, we should invest in God's kingdom with our time. These people devoted themselves, and devotion takes time. And this is arguably our most valuable possession, time. James 4 verse 14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Peter Drucker says that time is the most inelastic resource. You can borrow it, but you can't steal it. You can't add more. You can make more money, you can't make more time. So how would God have us invest our time for, for his kingdom? And before we answer this, we need to know something. We need to establish something. The truth is that God has a say in how we use our time. Every minute of it. The psalmist writes, before, your, before, my days were form, before my form substance, you had every one of my days in your book. He ordained them. He knows how long your life is. He knows what's going to happen in your life. And he, has a, and he has a desire for how you should use every minute of your life. In Genesis 1, he made, makes it clear that he has a purpose for creating people in his image. And when we are born again by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and faith in Jesus Christ, we are new creatures who are in Christ. We are no longer our own. We are bought with that price. And I bring this up because there's a danger for us Christians is that after this hour, hour and a half on a Sunday, we may believe or act like we believe that the rest of the 166 and a half hours of the week are off limits to God. And we're tempted to make every make decisions in those hours prayerlessly, as if God has no wisdom to offer or desire for us to make them count. And if I were to do a poll, I would have to raise my hand too, because we're all guilty of making decisions with our time that have nothing to do with God. 
But guess what? There's good news. Jesus Christ, He can forgive us for the ways that we have wasted our time before, and He desires to help us to make the time count, to make the best use of the time, as Colossians says. So how would God have us invest our time? Well, first... These are not terribly, these are the mindsets underneath or the heart sets underneath. He would have us invest our time by faith. Now, what is faith? Former pastor of mine said, Faith is the confidence assurance in God based on precedent. Now, he doesn't get that from nowhere. He gets that from Hebrews 11, which says, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's a driving force in our life. But this is not just faith in anything that the Bible is talking about. Not faith in faith, not faith in wishful thinking. This is faith in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who sent his Son, who came in the fullness of time, to be God with us, Emmanuel, and to rescue us from our sin. And Romans 14, verse 23 says that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So one of the questions we must ask about how we we are to use our time is are we investing it out of a posture that doesn't believe God as he is? Or are we investing our time on the basis that, as Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, that God exists and he rewards those who seek him? Sin is a worthless, worse than worthless investment of time. And if you've lived on the other side of sin, you know exactly what I mean. It's buyer's remorse. You always want more. And it never satisfies It's a waste of time. And this is where we all are apart from faith in Christ. But by faith in Christ, we can find out his will for us to use our time. The second attitude that we are to have in in how to use our time is hope. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15 teaches this. Now if anyone builds on the foundation, that is the foundation of Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, as though... He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Quick summary, that means a lot of things, but this for our time this morning, that means we are to live with the end in mind. What we hope for, what we really hope for, will shape our investment of, t- of our time. I want to commend a book to you. I'll commend another one to you later, but... The subtitle of this book is A Mercifully Short Book About a Really Big Problem. Kevin DeYoung writes this book called Crazy Busy. And he asks the question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he has no time to prepare for the one to come? 
Our investment must be on the basis of hope. And I encourage that in us because we can get so swept up by the busyness of life, doing things either in a way that does not honor God or things that we don't need to be doing, we should not be doing. The most important work in the world, well, the most important work has already been done by Christ, but because it has been done, our time should be spent towards the reality that it has been done and the promise that he has for us because it has been done. Our investment must be on the basis of hope. And thirdly, it must be on the basis and in love. We make time for the people and the things we love. We prioritize for the things and people we love. There's a great example of this in Luke 10, where Jesus was visiting the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And... It tells us that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him teaching. But it says, Martha was, what? Distracted with much serving. And Jesus tells Martha that Mary, who is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, has chosen the better portion. Now, does that mean he's condemning serving? No, not at all. He's saying, where's your love, Mary? Is it in making sure that everything's spick and span, or is it in me? Our love for Jesus should help us invest. Do we invest our time in the things that matter to Jesus? His church, image bearers who need the gospel, people being needing to be lifted up, to be built up, to be told the good news that this is not a godless world where, they, where stuff is just supposed to break forever. This is a world where God reigns now. He has always reigned, but he has sent his son to establish that. And that there's hope. We should invest our time in love in God's kingdom. So faith, in faith, in hope, in love. Second way we sh- should invest, the second means and resource that God has given us to invest is with ourselves. We should invest in God's kingdom with our talents. Now, what I want to read for you a parable that Jesus taught, a lesson of investment. And I want you to turn there, if you would, to Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. And beginning in verse 14. And we're just going to read through verse 23 of that parable. But Jesus says this. A parable is a lesson to come alongside to help us understand what he's getting at. And he starts out by saying in verse 14, for it, and he says that, that it, if you look up in verse, verse 1 of chapter 25, is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And as his image bearers, we are 
all of us are to reflect him. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master, master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, in this parable, talents was a, in that time a sum of money. But the principle applies here. That this, refer, this can refer to a resource that God has given us to invest the point of the given, being given the resources is to bear fruit. It is to multiply. So there's two questions we need to ask about our talents. First, what are talents? Well, we have a word for in our, in our English about, about part of it. Talent. You have a talent? You have an ability, an aptitude for something? What are our talents? They're the abilities, the skills, and gifts God has given us. All that we are able to do comes from God. That includes the natural abilities that we grow in, such as being able to walk and talk and move our hands and grab and touch things and, and, and that kind of stuff. It also includes the skills we learn as we, grow, as we grow. How to read, how to use technology, how to communicate, how to build, etc., etc. It includes talents where we have those aptitudes for certain things, that someone else doesn't have, that they have a, an aptitude for something that we don't have. And talents also, and perhaps most especially includes, those gifts through the Holy Spirit that we receive in our new birth through faith in Christ. Those gifts that often utilize all those others, our natural abilities, our skills, and our natural talents. So all those together, here's the question. What are we given those talents for? We're given those talents for worshiping God through making disciples. We're given those talents for worshiping God through making disciples. See, every list of spiritual activities in the Bible is found in a context of helping people become more and more like Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that? 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, talking about the way church structure is to work and how the gifts are to operate. All those are tied to us being members of one another. They're never just so that we can pat ourselves on the back. 
as if we came up with the gifts God gave us. They're always for the building up of his body. And there are things, yes, that we can do on our own to aid our own spiritual growth, like personal Bible reading or prayer. But you guess what? Our ability to grow in those things came from someone taking seriously Jesus' commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, where Jesus says to his disciples, who then teach us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are given the talents to worship God by making disciples of Jesus. And this is so, so important, church. If you have loved Jesus Christ and you have been saved by him, you are not a disciple only. You are a disciple maker. No matter how far or holy you think you are or aren't, from day one, you are commissioned to be a disciple maker. Even if at day one, all you have is that Jesus did something amazing. That's a good start. So there's the question. In your walk with Jesus, who are you investing in? And if you're here as part of this local church, guess what? You are given the great privilege to invest in this local body of believers. Every ministry of this church that we call York Evangelical Free Church is to be about worshiping God through making disciples of Jesus. We are, about, we are to be about helping people invest the resources God has given them so that they can invest them into others so that they would become more like Jesus. And that means one of the components every one of us should ask when we step in to serve, which we all should, is this. How does what I'm doing invest in someone becoming more like Jesus? And guess what? If you're having trouble answering that, or if you have trouble answering that, come talk to me. That is a major, major component of why I, your pastor, am here. Ephesians 4 verse 12 says that I am here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You don't have to just fumble and figure out this all on your own. You can come talk to me. I want to help you. I want to equip you. God has provided us resources to invest in his kingdom. One of those is time. One of those is talents. And that can be as simple as investing your ability to fold a chair. That can be as simple as pouring juice into a communion cup. Yes, that can be learning to preach. And yes, that is one of my desires, that I would be able to equip somebody in the future. Hopefully with not the stuff I do wrong or poorly. But, 
But you have been given talents by God. Even if today you don't think they're worth very much at all, God knows they're worth much because He gave them to you and nothing He ever gives is wasted. What else has God given us to invest in His kingdom? What other resource has He given us to invest in His kingdom? He's given time, talent. We sh- third, we should invest in God's kingdom with our treasure. Let's look at this back in Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God has a say in our time. God has a say in our abilities. God also has a say in our finances, our treasure. And this is the part where a lot of people put up their guards and be like, ah, it's just the preacher asking for money. The call of God to be generous has been abused by wicked people using and abusing their authority as influential figures, perhaps even in Christian circles, to make a buck off of suffering people. That is sin. And that is not what God calls us to when he says we should invest in his kingdom with our treasure. And if you ever hear me saying something like that, you come rebuke me to my face. But Scripture says that God has given us resources to invest in His kingdom. And they're not necessarily hyper-spiritual, mystical things. They're real things that we use every day. Dollars and cents being one of them. God says in the Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he says to us, if he were hungry, he would not tell us because he has no need. Because it's all his. The ability to create wealth that you and I have been given comes from him. That's why I put the our in quotes. Because we have to see it that way. Otherwise, we will be ruled by it. Money itself is not bad. It's the love of money. The desire to keep and hold on to it and make sure that we're secure. That, Jesus says, is serving the other master. You can't serve both God and money. But this passage gives us a different picture. A better picture. So what does generosity with our treasure look like? 
Well, first, it's investing our treasure willingly. Just a couple chapters over, Acts, verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, now the, it's really similar to this one in chapter 2. Verse 32 of chapter 4, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. It's investing our treasure willingly. The Bible never supports socialism. It doesn't. Socialism is generosity coerced. The Bible's vision of generosity is that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and have devoted ourselves to the better world of the kingdom of God, that we will want to invest. We will want to build up the church. We will want to meet needs. We will want to see what God does with the resources we give back to him. God doesn't need our money. He owns everything already. That's why he can call us to willingly join the greatest work in the history in the world in the growth of God's kingdom. Our treasure can be invested willingly. And secondly, our generosity looks like investing our treasure sacrificially. In his ministry, Jesus was watching people during making offerings in the offering box. Yes, Jesus watches people give. (laughs) And he pointed out to his disciples a widow who put in two small copper coins. And Jesus tells his disciples, she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now what... Jesus never says in Mark chapter 12 or Luke 21, the two places where this story shows up, he never says, what a fool that widow is. No, he says, this poor widow has put in more than all of the rich people. And, it's, and he says it as a commendation to her trust in the Lord to provide for her and to make use of her generosity. The Bible does not tell us how much we should give. It doesn't. But it tells us that we should give and invest at a point where we are aware that we are not God, but that He is, and that He's in control of our finances. He's worthy. And guess what? Randy Alcorn in his book, another mercifully short book, called The Treasure Principle, makes the point, you can't outgive God. He will supply every need. No one who has given in faith sacrificially to the Lord's work, at the end of the day says, boy, I was an idiot for doing that. No. You have been faithful with a little, Jesus. It's told in the parable. I will 
put you in over much. Come enter the joy of our master. And that leads to the third attitude of generosity that we are to have. Generosity with our treasure looks like investing our treasure joyfully. We must really seek to embrace God's reality, which is true reality. See, in this world, apart from God, we operate on a zero-sum game. And that basically means in order for someone to win, someone else must lose. That's not God's spiritual economy. That's not how God operates. Because in his economy, he owns all the resources because he's God. And two, he says that those who trust him can invest those resources that he entrusts to them for their joy. So where's the loss? The only loss in God's economy is this, that his people, in their joyful generosity, will lose that which is worthless. Their love of self, their love of stuff, which does not last. Their own sin. And they'll do that by loving him and others and gain that which has eternal value. Never to the detriment of anyone else. Jim Elliott, famous missionary, said, he is no fool to lose what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Why? Why is this the case in God's economy? Because as God's people invest their treasure in God's kingdom, they are always building up someone else. Someone else is being benefited and being shown God's grace. They are glorifying God, where God is displayed as he is, and whenever that happens, it's always for the good. And third, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, they are storing up for themselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. And where they themselves are blessed and benefited eternally by trusting and obeying the God of infinite resources. Jesus gave a parable in Matthew chapter 13, a really short one. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The key term in there is joy for the treasure found. Now, ultimately, what Jesus is talking about is the man gave up everything in his life that the world says is valuable. Why? So that he could have the treasure. Who's the treasure? Christ. God gives us resources to invest in his kingdom. And we should invest in God's kingdom with our treasure. Because for us, he now is the most valuable treasure. The signers of the Declaration of Independence, they invested in an idea. A free nation where people could exercise liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
But get this, though they, were, though they invested with, quote, their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor, end quote, you know what? They were not investing on a sure return. Look how much they invested on something that wasn't guaranteed. Success in the revolution wasn't guaranteed. The prosperity of this nation wasn't guaranteed. The freedoms people get to enjoy was not guaranteed. How much more should we, the saints of the household of God, invest our everything in his kingdom, which has already been inaugurated and the, the, the eternity which is promised for those who love him is told to us, is guaranteed to us. Not only a sure return, but an infinite rate of return. At your right hand, the psalmist says, are pleasures forevermore. Heaven never gets boring. An eternity where there is no sin. Not even a temptation to. An eternity where there is holy love. An eternity where there is pleasure upon pleasure, delight upon delight, without any remorse or regret. Because we will all be pure. An eternity where we are always at peace with our neighbor. Because our neighbor will love the Lord Jesus Christ and we will love the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who don't won't be there. So we should want them to come and be there. Be part of loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is an eternity where God himself dwells with us and we with him no longer separated by anything. Who hopes for what he sees, the Bible says. And the Bible also says that one day we will see him face to face. God has provided us resources to invest in his kingdom. That's worth investing in. So there they are. There they are, church. This is our vision for our next chapter. Captured in five words. Believe, grow, belong, serve, and invest. These are a snapshot of what it means that we are his church, Jesus' church. These are to shape what we do, always submitted to Scripture, how we think about what goes on and why in this church, how we worship and glorify God, how we minister to generations, and what expectation we should encourage each other in. We want each other to believe. We want each other to grow. We want each other to belong. We want each other to, to serve. We want each other to invest. So when someone asks what is York Evangelical Free Church about? We can tell them, we believe, we grow, we belong, we serve, we invest. We are a gospel-centered church that believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, that grows disciples of him of all generations, where people belong and are welcome to belong to him. 
where his people serve, where his people, for the joy set before them, invest. Invest. 